0: Hey friends this is Josh Blair and I'm the pastor of Central Valley Church and this is our podcast. My prayer for the message you hear today that it will inspire you and encourage you to walk closer with Jesus this week. If you want to stay connected with us please check us out at CVC Madera both on Facebook and Instagram and you can check out our YouTube channel Central Valley Church. Thanks for listening. So the reason's why if you're doing our reading plan that these books are together they're called the synoptic gospels meaning they are similar A lot of the same stories about Jesus, a lot of the same um, connections. Obviously, the authors, uh, as they wrote the history of who Jesus is and was, they took their own spin on it. They, They looked at it from their own perspective, their own worldview, but there's a lot of similarities in there. So that's why we're reading. You'll read a story in Matthew, and then you'll read it in Mark, and then you might have read it in Luke the day before or the day after. Those are a lot of connections. Maybe you're thinking, why are we... Reading these, I just read this story because these are the gospels, how they presented, and uh, we get to see the beauty of how uh, how the good news of Jesus is revealed by different people in different times as they were writing with their own understanding of the story. So uh, that's a beautiful thing. And sometimes I'll just point this out before we jump into the into the message this morning. Sometimes you'll read a story um, like in. In Matthew's Gospel, and it says there were two demon-possessed men that ran to Jesus on the shore, and in Mark's there was one. And you might think, well, that seems like it's contradiction. No, uh, when Mark was writing, he remembers the main guy, and Matthew might have been like, yeah, actually there was two, but Mark was like, I'm going to talk about the one, right? So anytime you see things like that, they're not contradicting. It's just the authors are understanding, they're remembering what they saw from their perspective. It actually adds validity to the authenticity. If they were all matchy matchy all throughout, then it would seem like as if they were all copying each other, and that would be like, what's going on here? So, actually, it provides authenticity to the Gospels. That's just a little side note. It's not in my notes, but I thought maybe some of you might be questioning that as you're reading the Gospels. But we're going to be jumping in uh, into the, a passage of Scripture this morning, and it's found actually in Matthew 19 and in Mark 10, almost uh, the very, very similar how they, how they lay out those portions. And it's also a portion of it is found in Luke chapter 18. And in the previous chapters of Ma- in, in Matthew's gospel and in Mark's gospel, we see Jesus addressing his disciples. We see him telling them, this is how I want you to love and care for those who are part of the body of Christ or those who are in the faith. And in chapters 19 and in chapter 10 of Mark, chapter 19 of Matthew, chapter 10 of Mark, we see Jesus teaching his people again, his disciples, those who are following him. He has gathered them around himself, and he's teaching them, and in the middle of his teaching, the Pharisees or the, the, the ones who taught Jewish law come and interrupt his story and his teaching with a question, and before we get to their question, I want to ask you a question, I want you to, uh, it's not rhetorical, I actually want you to answer, if you feel like you can answer me, I want you to just yell it out, okay, what are the three most important things in your life, what are the, I'm going to ask this, what are the three most important things in your life, somebody answer God, family, and we don't know. Uh, How about this side? What are the three most important things in your life? God, family, health. health. That's a good one. Anybody else? God, family, country. country. Good. Anything else? Salvation. Salvation. Yeah. These are all great ones. As we go through the passage of Scripture that we're going to be looking at today, I want you to think about your top three things. They don't all have to be the same. Just because you're in church, you don't have to answer God, right? What are, the, what are the most important things in your life? If we could expand that to the top five, what else would be in the top five? Job. What, was, what else? My children. Your children. That's great. Anybody else? Prayer. 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 What was that? The, ra- <laughs> the Raiders? No, they're in the bottom five, bro. Come on. <laughs> I'm just teasing you, man. Go Raiders. Bless uh, Derek Carr and help him, Jesus. Uh, so as, as we're looking at this, I heard family, I heard health, I heard children, I heard job, I heard God, I heard country. Right, I want you to keep those things in your mind as we go throughout this text this morning and, and believe that God is going to address some of the most important things in our life as we look at scripture. Before we do, let's pray together. Let's bow our hearts and our, our heads. Lord, we thank you, Jesus, for your word. It breathes life into us. We thank you, God, that you have given it to us, Lord, to show us the direction we should go. God, that it edifies us, it encourages us, it reproofs us, it corrects us, it builds us up. We thank you, God, for your word. (coughs) Speak to us today as we submit our hearts to you. We honor you. In Jesus' name, amen. Now, the text that we're going to be looking at today, Jesus addresses three areas in our lives Uh, that are vitally important. Uh, And he does it in this main chapter, both in Mark's gospel and in Matthew's gospel. And these are the things that he's going to address. Marriage, which I did not hear anybody say, uh, don't be mad at your spouse, that they did not say marriage is one of the most important things. Um, Family, that would be correct, yeah. So Jesus talks about marriage. He's also going to talk about children. And then he's going to talk about wealth or your finances. Some of you are thinking, the lack thereof. No, but he's going to be talking about these three areas in this passage of Scripture. And he begins to do it because of the question uh, that he is approached by the Pharisees, the teachers of the law. If you have your Bibles, we're going to be reading out of Mark chapter 10, starting uh, in verse 2. If you have a, you, uh, you have a smartphone or device you can go to the Uversion Bible app. We have the notes there, uh, and we have the verses there for you to follow along. Or you can just look at the giant Bible in the sky right behind me, and you can follow that as well. Chapter 10, starting in verse 2, it says, And the Pharisees came up, and in order to test him, asked, Is it lawful for a man to divorce his wife? And he answered them, What did Moses command you? And they said, Moses allowed a man to write a certificate of divorce and to send her away. And Jesus said to them, Because of your hardness of heart, he wrote this commandment. So we need to pause here. The Pharisees, they bring this question to Jesus, and they already know the answer to the question. They already know that it's lawful for them to have a divorce. Moses had already commanded it to them. That's why Jesus asked them the question. What did Moses command? And they answer him. They're able to give him the right answer. But they're doing it as a way to test him and trap him. We don't fully understand where they were going to go next because Jesus begins to go on the attack and he gives them a different question that they have to answer. And it kind of throws them off guard. Instead of just answering right away, uh, he says, what do you know about this? And he doesn't take the bait from them. He, He throws them another question. And whether they were trying to get him to answer, yes, it is lawful, and then they'd be like, wow. Because these people were all about politics. They were all about making someone look bad so that they could shift the narrative and uh, and twist it. To, we do this today. I'm in our own politics. Somebody says something, they're like, whoa, whoa, whoa. Whoever you're watching, CNN, they're like, these people hate children. And then because they're like, eh, you know, don't vaccinate the kids. Or they're like, oh, Fox News is like, they can't believe they said something like this. And it's all about a twisting of the story to make make them look bad. They were playing politics with Jesus, but Jesus is way beyond our politics. And he was able to say, well, let's figure out what you're, where you're trying to go. And he asked them this question, and then he answers, the reason that's in the law is because of your hardness of heart. What does that mean? Why is Why is Jesus saying the divorce was... Permitted because of the hardness of heart. It's, he's saying, because of sin, there was permission given. Because your hearts were hardened towards your spouse, they were able, we, you were given the permission to divorce. But he's saying, that's not the purpose of it. That's not the purpose of marriage. Jesus is saying here, anytime a marriage ends in divorce, sin is present. There's sin there. And we know that divorce happens, uh, but when it does, it's because something has missed the mark. That's what sin means, missing the mark. And in our in, in marriage, Jesus is saying, at some point, if there's a, a divorce in, in marriage, there has been a mark, the mark has been missed. And Jesus then shifts the question from what is permissible in divorce to what the intention of marriage was. See, there were two camps on the issue of divorce. Back then, they, there was one that said, Divorce is only permitted uh, on, on the case of adultery. And then there were others that said, no, divorce could be happened at any reason for any, any purpose if the husband was not pleased with the wife. So if, if she came out and she got a haircut he did not like, he'd be like, here's your certificate of divorce. Right? If she burnt breakfast, he was like, well, one strike and you're out. Like, here's the certificate of divorce. See, at any moment, the husband could just dismiss his wife, and Jesus is saying, you're you're missing the entire point. You're asking, how do I get out of something? And Jesus is saying, we need to understand what the purpose of marriage was in the first place. So he takes it all the way back to the beginning. And he begins by saying this, in the beginning of creation, God made them male and female. Can we pause there for a second? There's a lot of confusion in our culture today. Male and female, how many genders are there? I think this answers the question. God made them male and female, two genders. If you're, if you're wondering about that, you can try to figure out another way of uh, understanding, but if you submit your life to the authority of Scripture, you know the answer to what a lot of society is dealing with today, male and female. In the beginning, God made them male and female. Then he says, therefore, a man, a man shall leave his father and mother and hold fast to his wife, and the two shall become one flesh. And they are no longer two, but one. What therefore God has joined together, let no man separate. See, Jesus is, is shifting the question from divorce to the intention of marriage. He's trying to reorient his audience to a new perspective and reminding them of the sanctity of marriage. He's saying, God created marriage and, it, and it's, it's God that makes the husband and the wife one. Yet because of sin, which separates and divides, we struggle to see God's intention. So he's saying... What you perceive to be a blessing at the start, now you see as a curse. No one ever gets married thinking it's a curse, right? At some point, there is a shift from this is a beautiful thing to some things happen and life happens and struggle happens and more struggle happens. And then you perceive the marriage that you thought was a blessing, you look at it as a curse. No one gets divorced because this is, they say this is too much of a blessing. No one does that. Right? There has been a shift in perspective. And Jesus is saying, you're looking for a way out. You're saying that something that God has instituted has become a curse. And he's saying, no, the thing that God has instituted is actually a blessing. Whether you feel like it's a blessing or not, it is still a blessing. And all the people who are together says amen. He's saying God created marriage. He's the one who makes us one. And you're forgetting what marriage has been designed to be like that has been called a blessing. See, when he says any time there has been separation or divorce, he says it's because of the hardness of heart. And if that's the truth, then sin separates us. And sin not only separates us from God, but it separates us from each other. And any time anybody says, I don't need anybody else, I just need me and Jesus, they've already missed the understanding of the gospel and scripture Because God has made us to be in in unity with him and with each other. There should be a connection. And sin always seeks to divide and always seeks to separate. In fact, sin seeks to curse what God has blessed. So anytime that you believe there's something in your life that is a curse to you, either a relationship or, or something else in your life, see if there's something that has brought in that curse or has, has changed your perspective because perhaps that very thing that you think is a curse, God has actually given to you as a blessing. He says, what God has brought together, let no one separate. And so as he's looking at marriage, the question is, is what's permissible for divorce? And Jesus says, you're asking the wrong question. You're asking the wrong question. And maybe uh, you're like the disciples this morning, and you're saying, we need a little bit more information. Because the disciples said that to Jesus. Because they go into, after he's, he's done that teaching and he, he answers the Pharisees, they are all like, hey, let's go inside so that we can ask more depth questions because we don't understand it. You ever seen anybody who does that? Like, they're there with you when you're making a statement, and they're like, uh-huh, yep, yep. And then afterwards, you're like, I don't know what you were saying. That's what the disciples did with Jesus. They're standing around. Jesus is like, you should not get divorced. It was because of hardness of heart. God intended you to be one. He brought it together. It's an institution that God created. You didn't create it. You didn't make it up. God made it. And they're like, yep, hmm yep. And then they're like, okay, what? We don't know. So the Bible tells us they, they go into the house, and the disciples ask him again about this matter. They're confused, just like many of us are. And he says, whoever divorces his wife and marries another commits adultery against her. And if she divorces her husband and marries another, she commits adultery. Now this has become a problematic verse for a lot of people in the church for quite some time because we misunderstood what Jesus is saying here. And a lot of people have been hurt by the church because divorce is prevalent. One out of two marriages fail. And there are people who have been uh, divorced and they come into the church and the church has told them, well, you can't do this, you can't do that, you no longer can be like this, or, or if you did remarry, you're a giant sinner, or all these different things. That happens because the church misinterpreted what Jesus is saying right here. And if we look at uh, some theologians and scholars who have written on this, it gives us some understanding. And now, this is not, I'm not trying to preach on marriage or on children or on wealth entirely on themselves, but I do want to point this out. Now see, that this, this, uh, uh, this issue of adultery that Jesus is stating here, most scholars believe he's addressing it in two ways. The first one is this. He says, if you're married and you choose to end that marriage because you want to be with somebody else, you are committing adultery. Regardless if you divorce them and go, you join them, he's like, that's, that's adultery. You should not be doing that. That is breaking what God has brought together. You are, you are separating what God has joined. And he says, that, this is not permissible. You are sinning against God, against that person, against your, your spouse. It, it's, it's bad. You should not be doing those things. He's saying uh, this is a a main situation that's happening. But what's important about understanding that is uh, not all divorce and remarriage is considered adultery in God's eyes. And we need to know that because the church has said that for some time. So regardless of what the situation was that ended your marriage, if you go marry somebody else, you're now committing adultery. That's not what the Bible is saying. Is saying if your intention was to leave your spouse for this other person, yeah, you're committing adultery against them and you are sinning against the Lord. But hopefully someone hears me this morning that if you've walked through divorce and you've remarried and God has brought someone into your life, you are not continuing to walk in adultery against them or against God if it wasn't this situation. Hopefully that's encouraging to somebody, brings peace to somebody's mind. Because when we look at the entirety of Scripture, we can see what God is trying to say in this, in this, sec- in this section And secondly, when Jesus says this, he is elevating the value of the wife in the marriage. And this is one of the main points that I want to highlight here. Because historically, uh, as Jesus wrote this, uh, the the wife had no word, they had no value, they had no uh, say. They were considered property of the husband. And if something was done against the wife, it really wasn't done against her. It was done against her father or her brothers or any male relatives. If something was done against the wife, it was actually done against the men that she was related to and not her. And Jesus says, no, if you do this to to your wife, if you divorce her to go find somebody else, you are committing adultery against her, not her husband, or not her father, not her brothers. He's elevating the woman's status when he makes a statement like this. Because he was saying... You think your wife is just property that you can do whatever you want with and dispose of at your leisure, but no, you cannot. If you do this, not only are you sinning before God, you are sinning against her. And you have become made one flesh. That's what Genesis says. Two shall become one. You are separating yourself from her. You are are sinning against yourself and against her. And, And Jesus is elevating her status. And I think that's one of the main parts of this story found in Mark. In chapter 10, that Jesus wants to illuminate the purpose of marriage. And for husbands at the time, it was that they were made one with their spouse. They were considered equal in value. Two shall become one. That's equal. Joined together, not by social construct or contract, but by God. God is the one who makes two one. We cannot do that ourselves. God is the one who does it. And then he speaks to a larger issue in in our society today, which is that marriage is defined as one man and one woman. I heard someone say, well, we have questions about um, homosexual marriage or gender or all these other things, because Jesus never addresses it. But he does right here, clearly in the New Testament. Some people say he never says anything about it in the New Testament. No, he does. He says it here. A husband and wife created Male and female, God created them, and a husband will leave his father and mother, join to his wife, become one flesh. Jesus is is defining for us what marriage is and what it is not, who should be married, who should not be married, based on these words. So we have a foundation that Jesus is speaking to us about, about marriage. He's saying this is what needs to be defined as God has created it. It is not something that society had determined to do but something that God had established from the beginning now because of sin divorce was created as a tool to separate and remove what God had blessed see divorce saw marriage as a curse and for about a half of marriages that's what their marriage has become a curse to them when divorce occurs the marriage is seen as a curse, but God gave marriage as a blessing where more blessings would flow. And that's important for us to know because society would even tell us, if you look at statistics, that children raised in a home where there are two parents have a much greater success rate in the future than those that are in separ- separated homes or single parent homes. Because God created the institution of marriage as a blessing that would also house many other blessings to come. And the reason why we are in the state that we're in in our society is because we have not held true to the sanctity of marriage and we uh, thought it was something other than what it was created to be and we have removed the blessing of God off of our marriages and that—that what was supposed to be a blessing has turned into a curse and it creates more curses further down the line. And that's not to... um, speak any discouraging word to anybody, but this is just a, a message that Jesus is wanting us to hear, that marriage is sacred. It is holy. God has instituted it for a purpose and for a reason. And what God has blessed, sin seeks to curse. And Jesus is saying, they're asking how to continue the curse, when you should be asking how to continue the blessing. A lot of us are in difficult situations or in, in hardships, and, and perhaps if you're wrestling in your marriage today, you should not be asking yourselves, how do I get out of this? But you should be asking yourself, how do I make this a blessing again? How can I turn what seems to be a curse in my life into a blessing again, into what God has created it to be? And marriage is hard, and marriage is a struggle, and marriage is war sometimes, but we should never look at it as a curse upon our lives, but as a blessing that God has created for us. And so Jesus is wanting to reorient our understanding of what we perceive God to create something beautiful in our lives. And we have to understand that God desires to bless us. And part of that blessing comes through Marriage. Now, I understand that God allows divorce, and for some situations like adultery or physical, mental, or emotional abuse, it might be the better option than staying in an abusive situation. But there are, there's still a tearing apart that takes place that will cause damage, regardless of the, of the situation that brings about divorce. And there still will be pain. There's no such thing as a painless divorce. But when Jesus is speaking to his church, he is wanting to show us a better way. Amen? Amen. So Jesus is saying, God created marriage. It is a beautiful thing. It is not something that that belongs to you. It is something that belongs to God, that he has gifted to you. And he wants us to have a a better understanding of what marriage is, uh, its important role in our lives and in the lives of others, in our society, in our children, and so forth. And as he speaks about marriage, then he goes on to children, starting in verse thirteen. It says they were bringing children to him, so that they might touch, so that he might touch them. And his disciples rebuke them. But when Jesus saw it, he was indignant, and said to them, "Let the children come to me; do not hinder them, for to such belongs the kingdom of God. Truly, I say to you." Whoever does not receive the kingdom of God like a child shall not enter it. And he took them in his arms and blessed them, laying his hands on them. See, back then and even today, children had no social status. They had no voice. They were powerless. They had no rights. They had no privileges. They were seen as property of the father and often a burden to the family until they grew old enough to begin to work. And the disciples continued to have that viewpoint by rebuking the children and their parents for bringing their children to Jesus. And the Bible says that Jesus rebuked them. He was indignant for refusing to allow the children to come. See, Jesus wants children to come to him. Jesus wants to bless the children. It's one reason why we have the children in here during worship. And some of us are like, well, this is distracting. They're too loud. They're crying. They're not listening. They're running around. And some of us in our minds are like, get these kids out of here. And I hear Jesus saying, absolutely not. Let the children come to me. This is not about you, this is about them. It's not about your ability to uh, remain distractless. You're an adult. Like, figure it out. If the child is crying, say, God, thank you for the tears of the children. If they're running around, say, Look at God, give them speed. Whatever it is. You put your mindset on the things that are above, because Jesus wants the children to come to him. It says he was indignant. He was furious with his disciples for telling the children to go away. And how often in the church do we we tell the children in one way or another, go away? Go on the other side. I'm here. I I got great things to do in the kingdom of God. Please step aside. Like, I don't, you need to move away because this is me and Jesus' time. And Jesus would say, no, let the children come. Whatever it looks like, whether it's distracting or loud or crazy or crying, it's a beautiful thing. It's a wonderful thing, because Jesus says, "Truly, I say to you, who does who does not receive a child uh, does not receive, whoever does not receive the kingdom of God like a child shall not enter it." See, children were seen as a possession, and Jesus, in fact, says, "No, they they actually possess the kingdom. The kingdom belongs to them." So, when Jesus says you have to receive the kingdom of God like a child, he is explaining it in a couple ways. The first one is this that children are 100% dependent on their parents. Yes? 100%. Uh, until they become teenagers and then they, they, they think you're dependent on them for some reason. But as, like, we have a little that in our house, right? She gets everything from faith, everything. She's one, if, if faith did not care for her, she would die. 100% dependence. Jesus is saying, in some ways, if you don't have that kind of dependence on the kingdom of God, you're not receiving it the way that you should. At some point in your life where you become self-reliant and you are not de- leaning into the Godhead, you're not leaning into what God desires in your life or, or being 100% dependent on the kingdom, you're not receiving the kingdom as you should. Right? That's one way of seeing it. Right? Being dependent. Another way of interpreting this passage, this word that he says, whoever does not receive, can also be interpreted, whoever does not receive, it does not welcome, does not welcome the kingdom the way you would welcome a child will not receive it. And that makes us understand it a little bit differently. How do you receive children? Hopefully, you want them. Hopefully you care about them. Uh, f- for instance, this morning we're about to have prayer. I told my little my little son Griffin to leave. Like maybe I was I was being rebuked by Jesus, but I was saying you need to go play. And he hurt his arm. Immediately he comes running back in, and I see that he's hurt. So I go down, I pick him up. So I, I tell him what's wrong. Are you okay? You're gonna be all right. I pray for his little hand that he said he hurt, because I have a heart to receive my children when they're running to me, right? And Jesus is saying, if, if you want to receive the kingdom into your life, you have to receive it with a willingness to care, a willingness to serve, a willingness to go, a willingness to pick up those who are hurting, in the same way you would pick up a child. There has to be this understanding that, that you should, uh, whoever receives the kingdom, the way they welcome a child into the life will enter the kingdom. The disciples who didn't welcome the children but turned them away might have been asking, who wants to welcome a child? They have no value. They have no worth. They're taking up space. But Jesus elevates the status of children, those who are seen as less, those who have no value. And he says, the thing that society undervalues, I highly value. Now, what does that look like in a practical sense in our society? Think about those who see children as a curse and a burden, not as a blessing and a promise. Psalm 127.3 says that children are a blessing from God. They are a heritage, the fruit of our womb, are a reward. But in our society, we do not see children as a fruit or a reward or a blessing. Overall, maybe the church does, but overall we do not. In the United States, we are the leading country for child sex slavery and traffic. We are not giving value to children in our society. The U.S. aborts millions of children. We do not see them as valuable, we see them as worthless to dispose of when we want to. We think they are a burden, not a blessing. We think they are a curse. Not a blessing. Jesus is greatly disturbed at the amount of children that we abuse, neglect, and kill every year. He is indignant. Why does the church take such a strong stance on the sanctity of marriage and the sanctity of life? Because of what Jesus says here. We take a strong stance because Jesus says how you treat the children is how you treat the kingdom. How can the kingdom of God flow in this place when we're killing our children? We are killing the kingdom of God. We are killing a move of the kingdom of God, better way of saying it. Why does the enemy want our children to be killed? Because Jesus says they possess the kingdom. The kingdom of God belongs to them. That's why he's wanting them to be abused. That's That's why he's wanting us to kill them. Because he's hoping to stop the moving of the kingdom. Because Jesus said the kingdom belongs to them. He's going to move through the children. He's going to move through families. He's going to move through communities that love, protect, cherish children. And we're wondering, God, why haven't you moved? God, why haven't you come back? God, why aren't you fixing situations? He's like, I wonder if you'll listen to my words and honor those who have no honor, value those who have no value in your eyes. We need to do something. The church needs to wake up. We have a responsibility, church, to stand up, for those who have no voice. Jesus, is, he elevates women in the, in the, in the passage about marriage. So women that are being abused, we need to stand up and say, this will not happen. This will stop now. Children that are being abused and aborted, we have to stand up and say, there is their life has value. And we have to do something about it. It's not something that some... Uh, organization or group should be established to do something. No, we should do something about it when it's seen in our own families, in our neighborhoods, in our communities. We have to stand up and do something. Last time I checked, Jesus said, we are light in the darkness. We don't ask the darkness for permission to be light. We are light. So we stand up, we take a stance, and we do something about it. See, Mark is highlighting... In his gospel, the value of children, the value of marriage. And it's as if Jesus is saying here, what God has given as a blessing, don't allow the enemy to curse. Marriage given by God to one man and one woman is a blessing. Children given by God, planned or unplanned, wanted or unwanted, are a blessing. We cannot, under any circumstance, believe that they're a curse. Born or unborn, they are not curses. They are blessings. Whether it was planned or unplanned, whether it was a situation of rape or not, whatever it might be, the Bible's very clear. They are a blessing. And the enemy would love nothing more than to take your blessing from God and make it a curse in your life. How does he do that? How does the enemy creep in to take what God has blessed and cause it a curse. He does it by causing us to devalue what God calls valuable. So search your own hearts today and ask yourself, have I devalued something that God has said is truly valuable in my life? Marriages are broken when we devalue each other. When we devalue our spouse, the enemy comes in, says the person you thought you loved, you don't really love, they're not really worth it. They're sucking your time, your energy, your money, your resources, they're they're creating more issues for you. They're a curse. And you say, yeah, they are. And then we walk away from the very thing God wanted to bless us with. We look at children, and children are treated horribly, abused, aborted because they've been seen as devaluable, and not as a gift that truly they are and can be. And Jesus says, These are not possessions. You don't own your spouse. You don't own your children. In fact, your spouse is one flesh with you. They are your equal. And your children are co-heirs into the kingdom of God. In fact, they are the ones who possess the kingdom. I need to add here that Jesus is specifically speaking to men, fathers, and husbands in these passages because they're the ones who had the property rights. They're, They're the ones that had the ability to to do something about what Jesus is talking about here. Obviously, women, you you need to also uh, value these things as well, right? Jesus would not say, men value marriage as Women don't care. It doesn't matter, right? He would not say that. He he wouldn't say, men, you need to love your children, protect your children. Women, he doesn't care, right? He's saying that we all need to value it, but he's also speaking directly to the men here that we need to take special note of our responsibility in the home to care for, honor, protect, Love and cherish those in our care. I think our society is in the state that it's in right now because men have not risen up to be the men of their homes. Have not stood up for the hopeless and the helpless and the broken. And have shrugged responsibility. It happened all the way back with Adam and Eve. I've said it before, I can say it right now. When, they, when he gave in, they ate the fruit they weren't supposed to. Who did he blame? The woman. And then he blamed God. He didn't take his own responsibility, and we've been shrugging responsibility ever since Adam. And as men of God, we have to step up, shoulder the responsibility he's called us to, to care for our children, care for our wives and our family, and not only our children, but all all children. When we see something going on in our society, we don't say that's somebody else's responsibility. We say, no, what, what part do I play in this? Because if the church would rise up, and men especially would rise up, and recognize their place not only of physical authority but spiritual authority, we would begin to see the walls that the enemy has been affecting our communities with be tumbled down when men would rise up. And that's not to say that women have no, no responsibility, no care, but, but women have been already shouldering a lot of things already. Women have carried the church through, through, through generations when men were nowhere to be found. But at some point, men, we have to rise up. It's not our wives' responsibility to lead us into spiritual things. We're called to do it. Do you know that children are more likely to be in the church when their fathers are in the church? Even if their mothers are dedicated and serving and volunteering every Sunday, if they see dad on the couch, where do they want to be? On the couch. But if the father says, hey, family, get up, we're going to church, we're going to follow Jesus. You know what? Children are going to do it as well. That's not by accident. God established fathers with responsibility to lead their families. And here's the gospel. This is not something to beat you up. This is to encourage you that even if you've been failing in this area for your whole life, your whole marriage with your children, the gospel is Jesus gives us another chance. To stand up and he gives us the ability and his spirit to say, now you have spiritual authority to rise up and to lead well. You have the ability. He is saying you need to stand up. Honor those who have been come under your care. Your wives are one flesh with you. They are equal with you. Your children are co-heirs in the kingdom of God. Now we'll go to the last section. If you haven't been made uncomfortable yet, we'll get there. Okay? <laughs> Talking about marriage has made you uncomfortable, all right. Talking about your children made you uncomfortable, all right. Now let's talk about your money. You know, this is a great message, Pastor. I was hoping you would preach on these things. Look, I, I feel the tension. I understand this can be a hard word, but it's a good word. I want us to recognize what Jesus desires for our lives and what's important to us, what's most valuable. Jesus is saying, I gave you marriage because it's valuable. And we see the effect of it when it falls apart. And none of us are perfect. We've walked through broken relationships and divorce. We understand. I understand. But there is grace and there's mercy and there's another chance to get it right. And Jesus is saying, I've given you hope today to help you. And children, maybe you failed raising your kids and they're living like hellions. Jesus is saying, guess what? There are kids still around you that need mentors, that need leaders, that need spiritual fathers and mothers. And you can reach out, and you can protect, and you can love and encourage and care for them as if they were your own children. He'll give you more chances. He'll give you greater opportunities to walk this out. It's not a word of discouragement. It's a word of life. Because some of you have been struggling because you failed in some of these areas, and you felt like, I can't get these things back. But Jesus says, in my kingdom there's always another chance. There's always another opportunity. So then, he starts in verse 17, speaking about wealth. And now, uh, I wish the heading was not there in Mark's gospel. Mark did not write the heading. It's not a sacred heading, right? He just wrote. They went back in and added the heading. They added the chapters and the verses. I wish that he hadn't done this because the way he writes this story... He's waiting to the very end as the punchline because the hearers of the story would have been shocked about what Jesus was saying until you get to the very end. And it says in verse 17, He was setting out, Jesus and His disciples were setting out on a journey and a man ran up and knelt before Him and asked Him, Good teacher, what must I do to inherit eternal life? And Jesus said to him, Why do you call me good? No one is good except God alone. And Jesus is essentially saying, Do you know that I'm God? Because only God is good. So you're calling me good. Do you know something that I have not yet revealed to you? That's why he asks that. He's not saying he's not good. He is good. He knows that he's good. And he says, uh, uh, no one's good except God alone. He says, you know the commandments. Do not murder. Do not commit adultery. Do not steal. Do not fare false witness. Do not defraud and honor your father and mother. And he said to him, teacher, all these I have kept from my youth. And Jesus, looking at him, loved him and said to him, you lack one thing, go sell all that you have and give it to the poor and you will have treasure in heaven and come follow me. Disheartened by the saying, he went away sorrowful, here's a punchline, for he had great possessions. The key word that we're talking about in all of these things is possessions. What do you think you possess? Possess. And what actually possesses you. There's a lot to unpack in this passage, but I want to focus on a couple of these things. As we read through it, some scholars think that the young man was lying in the scripture, that he was being prideful when he says that I've kept all the commands. But Jesus looks at him and it says that he loves him. So we don't see in scripture. Uh, that the young man was speaking in pride because the Lord opposes the proud but gives grace to the humble. And I don't think that if the young man was like, I've kept all of these since my youth, that Jesus would have been like, man, I love this guy. Right? Jesus was not some like pious, he, he was fully man and fully human, fully human, fully God, 100%. And I don't think Jesus was just like, oh, bless his heart. Look at this little liar. <laughs> oh, if he only knew, right? I think that, Jesus would respond like other men would respond. When some guy comes in the circle of other guys and he's real prideful, guys, we can speak to this, we're like, what a jerk. You know, we don't like the, the guy who comes in and like, I know how to do that better than you know how to do it. You know, we're like, oh, let's be friends with that guy. No, but none of us, come on, guys, we know what you're talking about. The guy at work is like, oh, you're doing that wrong. We're like, shut up, no one asked you, right? So I don't see the, 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 the rich young man here saying, I've done all of it, and Jesus being like, look at him. You're a sweetheart, right? No, I think the young man was being genuine. I think he really wanted to know God. I think he was really pursuing him, and he really tried to do all that God had commanded him to do. But Jesus is saying all of these things, you know what, what has been commanded, and all the commands that he does is treating people. He doesn't address the first five in the Ten Commandments where it's our relationship between us and God. He is addressing the last five, and he adds in, do not defraud. Uh, because he's saying to how you treat other people. And the young man says, I've done all these things by, uh, uh, since my youth. And I think he's being genuine. But Jesus saw through the real issue that needed to be addressed. And that's what Jesus wants to do with some of us today. Some of us have good intentions in our heart. We long to him. But there's something in our heart that, is, that we think we possess but is actually possessing us. And he wants to speak to that very thing. And Jesus will speak to stuff in us that make us really uncomfortable. But he knows that's the very issue that's hanging you up. And if you can learn how to let that go, then you can really flow in the kingdom of God. I didn't mean for that to rhyme. But if you can let it go, the kingdom will flow. Hallelujah. (laughs) Jesus sees the issues we all have. Even the issues we don't think we have, he sees them. And he tells them, Go and sell all that you have and give it to the poor. Now, he's not speaking as a generalization to anybody who has any type of wealth. He's not saying, you shouldn't have anything. Give it all away. Then you'll have the kingdom. He's, not. he's speaking directly to this young man who has something in him that he thinks he possesses, but it really possesses him. And he says, go and give it away, and then you'll have treasure in heaven. And the young man walks away disheartened because he had great possessions. See, Mark intentionally left it at the very end of that passage because he wanted the people to be shocked. Like, are you kidding? He wanted to draw our attention to why the young man was walking away and disheartened. Then Jesus says in verse 23, and Jesus looked around and said to his disciples how difficult it is for those who have wealth to enter the kingdom of God. The reason why he says it is because most of the time those who have wealth put their trust in it rather than God. And Jesus has been saying all along, what you think is your possession actually belongs to God. Verse 24, the disciples were amazed at his words. They were amazed because when they, if you read throughout the Old Testament, which is the Bible that they had at the time, they didn't have the gospels as they were being written. And anytime you look at the Old Testament, a blessing was a sign of God's hand. If you were wealthy, it was because God blessed you with wealth. And they were shocked. And, but Jesus said to them, Children, isn't that interesting that he talks about his own disciples as kids, who the kingdom belongs to? How difficult it is to enter the kingdom of God. It is easier for a camel to go through the eye of a needle than for a rich person to enter the kingdom of God. And they were exceedingly astonished and they said, Then who can be saved? And Jesus looked at him and said, With man it is impossible, but not with God, for all things are possible with God. The disciples were amazed and astonished because as they looked at their Holy Scripture, within their context, wealth was seen as a blessing from God. If you had a lot of money, you had a lot of possessions, it's because God had blessed you. They looked at their ancestors, Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. They were blessed with possessions and goats and camels. and They thought, hey, wealth and possessions and things was blessings from God. And then Jesus flips it around. And not only that, the young man had just confessed, I have kept all the commandments, and Jesus did not rebuke him for lying. So now they're thinking, he did all the things right, and he's been blessed for it, and now you're saying he won't enter the kingdom. They're confused. Could you imagine their confusion? Some of you are confused right now. (laughs) They're confused. He's kept all the commands, and Jesus says your wealth is getting in your way. If we keep this idea of God's blessing, what God has blessed us with, and the potential for sin to come in and curse what God has blessed, then we can understand the young man's issue. It wasn't because wealth is wicked, just like children are not wicked, just like marriage is not wicked. They are all blessings from God, but they become curses when we allow sin to distort the reality of what they actually are. So you thought your marriage was a curse to get out of, but God created it as a blessing for you to protect. You thought children were unimportant and a burden, but yet God gave them as a gift and an inheritance. You thought riches were a sign of God's blessing, and Jesus says wealth can get in the way of the kingdom of God when you put your trust in it rather than God. See, what do all these three things have in common? They all deal with the things we think we own. Jesus was wanting to reorient our perspective, his church, his people, to the reality of what's important for us as followers of Christians. You don't own your marriage. He does. You don't own your children. He does. You don't own your finances. He does. And every time we try to put ourselves as the owner of these things in, in place of God, We have the potential to turn these blessings into curses. So, if you want to have a good marriage, see your spouse as a blessing and not a curse. When you wake up next to him, say, Man, what a blessing! What a blessing! No makeup, hair all thrown everywhere, morning breath, what a blessing. Treat them as God's possession and not your own, to do whatever you wish. They belong to God. Your spouse belongs to God. See them as such. Begin to see your children as blessings, not burdens. Bring bring them to Jesus. Pray with them. Pray for them. Pray that God would touch them and bless them and give them the kingdom of God. Even when they're screaming in the back of the car seat, you can't reach them and you're driving down the freeway and you're trying to... So you're a, you're a blessing. Speaking from experience. It's difficult, but even in the moments where we're wrestling with difficult things, stop for just a moment, pause, and reflect. This person was given to me as a blessing. These children were given to me as a blessing. Even though their laundry's piling up, they've made a mess everywhere. They're not listening. They're little hellions. They're blessings. Allow the gospel to reorient what we see as important in our lives and the value that God has placed on these things and allow it to cause our hearts to soften to the things that the enemy seeks to curse. See, your wealth, your finances, they belong to God. Teach yourself how to surrender them to God. He is your provider, not you. He'll open opportunities for you. He'll open doors for you. He'll give you business ideas and creativity. But all of that so that he can bless you to be a blessing. The moment you take it and think it's yours, that blessing becomes a curse. And he says it will stop you from entering into the kingdom. That's a scary thing. I want, I want wealth to flow through my life, through this church. I never want to touch it and think it's mine. Because I am, I am causing the potential to fail in the kingdom of God to happen when I do that and when you do that. So God is saying teach yourself that the money you have, the finances you have, belong to Him. Best way to do that is begin with tithing. It belongs to Him. All of it belongs to him. He could ask for 100%. He only asks for 10. But as it flows through you, the generosity develops in our hearts. He blesses us with more so that we can give more. We can be a blessing, a greater. See, Peter trying to follow what Jesus was leading to, he begins to say this. I always thought it was interesting, but Peter was a a good guy. I think I would have been friends with him. Peter began to say this. See, we have left everything and followed you. He's always a one-up or two. And Jesus said, Truly I say to you, there is no one who has left house or brothers or sisters or mother or father or children or lands for my sake and for the kingdom of the gospel who will not receive one hundredfold now in this time houses, brothers, sisters, mothers, children, lands with persecution. Uh, and in the age to come, eternal life. But many who are first will be last and the last first. Jesus is saying here to live this kind of lifestyle, to follow me, to call yourself a Christian and let it be authentic and receive everything you have. It'll cost you something. To be a Christian, to follow Jesus may cost you friends, may cost you family who want to walk away from you, may even cost you property, but you'll gain so much more in eternity, and now he even says, here and now. Will you receive persecution for it? Yes. But remember, the first will be last. The last will be first. Jesus is saying it's about surrendering and letting go and trusting him for everything. Being 100% dependent on him for your survival. Allowing him to speak into your life growing in your dependence of him. It's not about what you think you possess, it's about what possesses you. He's speaking here. See, the, the, the church, why it's so valuable is because it's a promise of God to you. Jesus recognizes to follow him is gonna cost you something and your reward is the person sitting next to you. I hope that we would, we would recognize That the church is a blessing too, and not a curse. That Sunday morning is a blessing, not a curse. I mean, even God gave us an extra hour of blessing (laughs) so that we could get up and get to another blessing. I pray that we would be a church that sees every single person in this church as a blessing. A blessing to us. Because they are a promise to us. That even though our friends may have left us, Jesus gave us new ones. Even though our family may have turned our backs on us, Jesus gave us new family. Even though we may have lost because we we chose to follow Jesus, he has given us a reward. Not only for heaven, but he says here and now. And look around you, uh, this is the here and now. So God is wanting to reorient our, our lives and our perspective on the things that have cost us. He's wanting us to see marriage for what it is, children for who they are, and the wealth for what it's supposed to be. So as I draw our time to a close, with every head bowed, every eye closed, I could have the worship team come. Jesus loves us. He loves us so much that he gives us his word to sometimes challenge us, sometimes encourage us, sometimes correct us, sometimes reproof us or build us up, edify us. And this morning is a word that hopefully does all of those things, that encourages you that it's not over. Even though you're maybe in the fight of your life, maybe you have some regrets in some of these areas, your marriage, your children, your finances. Jesus says, I've come to give you another shot. Maybe you've experienced hardship hurt and pain because of the failure of maybe your parents' marriage, maybe as a child you experienced abuse, neglect, abandonment, and the Spirit of God is here this morning to tell you you have great value and great worth those things should not have happened to you and it broke his heart and he was indignant that they happened and those that were there supposed to protect you did not protect you. Maybe you even grew up in the church and the church wasn't there to protect you. From his word we know. Jesus desired for you to come to him and even now this morning Jesus wants to heal wounds and he says come he wants to receive you and touch you and speak life to you and speak healing to your heart these things have great value not only for ourselves but for the inheritance that follows after us God wants to bless your marriage and cause it to be a blessing that flows to others, to your children, your grandchildren, your great-grandchildren. Jesus wants to bless the children, cause them to rise up, to be empowered, to be protected, to be cared for. Jesus wants to bless you cause increase, not so that you can live more comfortably, so that you can be a blessing to others, give and serve. This morning, Jesus is working, so I just want to let the Holy Spirit work. He's speaking to some of us this morning. He's healing old wounds this morning. He's speaking life into those areas right now where there's big struggle. We love you, Jesus. We're grateful, God, that you can take a powerful word, even spoken through a mediocre speaker, and speak life to people. We thank you, Jesus, that you are faithful. We thank you, Jesus, that you are bearing fruit in your church and in your children. We thank you, Jesus. We thank you, Jesus. Thanks for listening to this message. To hear more messages like this one, be sure to subscribe and check out our podcast channel to hear past episodes. If you like what you're hearing, be sure to rate it and share it with your friends and help us out a lot. If you're interested in supporting the ministry of Central Valley Church, go to CVC.